0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to fritolaisnacket.espination.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Tweep Stakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but Prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at fredolaysnacket.espionation.coms get up get up did up off your seat! Time for you to meet and brief! the D, ever, 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 ever. Thanks, everyone, for listening to our special season preview edition of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Very excited to come to you right before the start of the NBA season. It's just days away, Uh, but joining me this week, as he did last week, is Ben Galker. How are you doing, Ben?
1: Hey, good to talk to you guys. I'm doing great, thanks.
0: And also joining us is the editor of Detroit Bad Boys, Sean Corr. Sean, how are you? I'm doing great. Awesome. Well, we would be remiss if not to start with sending just our thoughts and prayers out to a member of the basketball community, a member of the Detroit Pistons family, Flip Saunders today passing away at the age of 60 after losing his battle to cancer. Sean, you would posted something on the website about Flip.
2: Yeah, I just, you know, it's it's terrible tragedy to have somebody, you know, lose this battle at the age of 60. And I guess it just kind of, for me, puts into perspective sort of what we went through during those Flip years where, you know, honestly, he didn't have many fans in the hardcore Pistons community because it was championship or bust. And he led the team to more wins than any coach in history by winning percentage. But, you know, fans were dissatisfied and he was actually fired before his contract was up. It kind of puts into perspective when something like this happens and you lose, you know, who was reportedly nothing but a great person like Flip Saunders kind of puts to uh, the test serious hardcore fandom and how ridiculous some passion can be. So, you know, just from the Detroit Bad Boys community to everywhere else, I think it's just uh, you know, appropriate to say that uh, we're thinking of all the Flip Saunders fans and all the Timberwolves fans and everybody in the NBA who is, you know, touched by the loss of Flip Saunders.
0: You're right that it it's so strange to think, but a coach that took a franchise to three straight conference finals is looked at as someone who maybe wasn't as successful just during his time with us. Uh, but those were some of my favorite memories were those going-to-work Pistons and those seasons where we were still fighting and, and still so successful under Flip. Just an absolute tragedy today. I, I was hoping to see him back on the sidelines with the Timberwolves and make that full recovery. And He's done such a great job with that franchise as well. I thought it was great that he got to return to Minnesota and, and help try to build a uh, a winning basketball franchise there again as well.
2: Right. I mean, he'll have a legacy with just about everybody he touched personally. But as far as professionally, he really laid a solid foundation in Minnesota that's going to last for, you know, from their perspective. They hope it's 10, 15 years with some of the young guys they have. So, you know, it's just a shame that he's not going to be there to see all that to fruition.
1: Yeah. And Sean, I thought your piece today was good. And I will say it was interesting. You said how, you know, not a lot of the hardcore fan base really supported Flip. And I think that's true. Um, and I never have written about Flip. I, I didn't start writing about the Pistons until later. But I'm actually a huge defender of Flip Saunders' time in Detroit. I think he got more out of that roster than um, probably just about any other coach could have. I thought the product they produced on the floor, given the roster they had, was was about as good as you could possibly do. And I think um, he takes a lot of flack for things that weren't his fault and two things in specific – the NBA changed the rules of the game after the Pistons won a championship. He couldn't control that. And and secondly, he just never had the bench um, that the championship team had. Um, if you look back at that team that won it in 04, they were incredibly deep, and they were able to throw drastically different looks, especially on the defensive side of the ball, uh, at teams because they were so deep. And I think uh, Flip takes too much flack, in my opinion. He he just never had those resources to work with in terms of the bench, Uh, and, and everything he's accomplished, I think, gets overlooked because they weren't ultimately able to win a championship, and I think that's unfortunate.
2: We can talk about the Lions for ten seconds, which is only slightly less tragic. Today I was too busy, so I'll you were a smart, smart man. I haven't
1: watched anything since the first game. I just, I had
2: a feeling it was going to be one of those seasons. So, well, you're again very smart. <laughs> yeah, the first
0: game definitely kind of tipped the hand. I missed today's game too. I, I'm not really sure. Oh, it, today it went.
2: was an abomination. Oh okay. God,
0: against Minnesota, it was so
2: bad that after four hours of yard work that I did just so I could watch the game. I went back out in the second half and did more yard work just so I could avoid the game.
0: Oh no. <laughs> it's a football season like this that really makes you appreciate that the basketball season starts in 2 days. Yeah.
2: Actually, I was thinking uh when Jim Caldwell inevitably gets fired pretty soon, I think Stan Van Gundy's the longest tenured coach in Detroit, is that right? <laughs> He's that can very well be the case,
0: yeah he's here he's been here longer than osmus, right that would be the the next one in yeah, terms that's of tenure, true, right, yeah. yeah, that's really strange to think, but yeah, that's true. <laughs>
2: Stan Van Gundy, standing strong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the senior coach from, right. from the Detroit yeah. professional franchise. He is the
2: standard bearer of all Detroit head coaches now. He's the elder statesman. So, so now we can transition to Detroit so, Pistons season preview.
0: So now we can actually look at the team that Stan is building as the, right. the senior member of a Detroit franchise. Ben, I know you had sent um, some questions that you had about the upcoming season. And I think that's a great way to kind of frame this season preview is I'll just open up discussion through a question. We can kind of talk about it, get it, try to get an answer, and just try to get everyone ready for the Pistons season. I know I'm so excited. I've been thinking about the Pistons constantly, and it was really exciting to see the Pistons end the preseason on a strong note. I'm not sure if you guys got to see any of that Hawks game.
1: I did, and it was a blast. Yeah, yeah it was great to watch. Yeah,
0: it really was. So I, I think let's just start with some positivity. Ben, it starts with your very first question. That was, what are we most looking forward to this season?
1: Yeah, I haven't honestly been excited about the start of a Pistons season since 2008. Uh, And thinking back, that was the season that ultimately, for all intents and purposes, ended when Allen Iverson was acquired. And since then, I mean, I've been pretty negative about the Pistons. And unfortunately, you know, those concerns have come to fruition in pretty terrible ways. Uh, But I think this year, I think they're a good team. uh, And that's what I'm most looking forward to. This team should be able to compete for 82 games. If everything goes just average, I think this is a playoff team. So I'm looking forward to good basketball. I'm looking forward to a roster that's cohesive. And I'm looking forward to an on-the-court product um, that fits the vision of the franchise from top to bottom, starting with Van Gundy and all the way down to the 15th man on the roster i'm looking to cohesive quality basketball that's going to be fun to watch
0: yeah i I agree it's nice to just look at the pistons franchise and see a stable product to see a head coach going into his second year to see that everyone seems to be on the, the same page in the front office and that the owner is behind it it's nice that we we look competent i think there's a chance for us to to be a a winning product and to be an exciting team on the floor. You're right. Uh, it's nice to see this come together. And I think the last few years, as a fan, as I've tried to talk myself into, okay, no, this is the year that we fight for the playoffs. Okay, no, it wasn't last year. No, it was a John Lawyer mess. Okay, it's going to be this year, the first <laughs> Stan Van Gundy season. And because I've pushed it back so far now and we've been in a playoff drought for so long, it's nice to go into a season and feel like I have real, tangible things that get me excited as someone who isn't just a fan, but just looking at the Eastern conference and saying, okay, I think we can contend. I think we can hang with the other teams in this conference. That, that is something I look
1: forward to. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. It's kind of funny where you can really think about this being the first year where there isn't an overt act of self-sabotage in a long time. I mean, you could go all the way back to the first Brandon Knight year when, whatever, he's a high draft pick. He's, eventually become a useful nba player but the team just gave him like 1500 minutes when he didn't know how to play point guard so you know the season's a write-off right away then you go into the next year and uh i'm probably forgetting something but you add josh smith to the equation and it's a total disaster of course and then even last year van gundy's first year he He didn't own up to the fact that it wasn't going to work. He tried to make it work for whatever reason. And those first 28 games were just you know, effectively the end of the competitive season for Detroit. So this year, it's almost like there's a clean slate. Van Gundy's got all his guys that he needs to run his system. So really, it's the first year in a long time where everything just makes sense. I don't even care about wins and losses so much as I care about I know that What is going to happen on the basketball court is going to, you know, be the thing that could lead to a more competitive game for the next 48 minutes.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think that's a great place to leave it there, because now we can kind of turn to the other side of the coin, which is what things about this team are we most nervous about? Sean, you want to start off with what things you're nervous about for this season?
2: Actually, for me, it comes down to just one thing because well, kind of like I with what I said earlier, everything just makes perfect sense. But the thing that I am worried about Detroit not being able to accomplish, that it would prevent them from making the playoffs, is play quality Stan Van Gundy-level defense. I have no doubt in my mind that this team has improved by leaps and bounds on offense. Everything makes perfect perfect sense when you think about how the team is built around the Reggie Jackson Andre Drummond pick and roll surrounded by a bunch of shooters they could have a top 10 offense in the NBA but there is nothing but question marks on this roster from a defensive perspective up and down the starting lineup I mean you're still looking at a situation where your best defender might be Contavius Caldwell Pope and he's not a lights-out defender right now in the NBA. You have huge question mark with your starting point guard and Reggie Jackson. You have no idea what kind of starter quality uh, defense Marcus Morris is going to provide. Urson Ilyas Ilyasova is you know competitive but not renowned for his defense. And as far as I'm concerned, Andre Drummond is still largely a mess on defense. So if if I'm worried that the Pistons aren't going to make the playoffs, it's because I'm worried that they're not going to play adequate defense.
0: Yeah, that's my biggest worry, too. And I kind of like that Freudian slip with Ersan Ilyaslova because the, <laughs> there's a worry with me about this team when it comes to defending the perimeter and teams being able to just, sh- just shoot and get good looks from the three-point line against the Pistons. And I saw it in the preseason. It killed us at times last year. And is one of those guys I really worry about because I'm just not sure what he gives us defensively, and you're right. Then it goes to uh, maybe another stretch for like Marcus Morris. There's another guy I worry about and what he can give us on the defensive end. So, yeah, I think for me the biggest thing I'm nervous about is that side of the floor. I have enough confidence in Stan Van Gundy and the system he's put in offensively and the players that we have that that can be a a competent offense. It can be somewhere in the middle of the NBA in terms of just, you know, offensive rating, but the defense is something that I think that – that could be what costs us games. If we're looking at just like one side of the court being the issue, for me, it's it's tough to say something as large as that, but it's it's the defense.
1: Well, yeah, and we talked about this about a bit about this last week, and I think one of the things I see as a huge plus for this roster is their ability to get out in space and in transition and make plays that are unstructured and freelancing and all that good stuff. Um, but we talked about the fact that in order to get into transition, you have to make a stop. And you got to get a rebound. And so, yeah, I think you guys are hitting the nail right on the head. Uh, Defense is a problem. Um, I don't think it's going to be great. They're going to have to figure out a way to to be good enough. And then I want to piggyback and say one more thing about this point. I would like to see Stan sort of go all in on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Because I'm not at all persuaded that this roster is very good defensively. Mm -hmm. I'd like to just see him go all in on the offensive side of the ball. And this might be a little bit contentious, but... Frankly, I'd like to see him start Jody Meeks, and I'd like to see Casey P P play a lot less because as much as I like him on the defensive side of the ball, his offense has just been broke. And I think we absolutely have to have um, shooting and competent offense out of our shooting guard position. Uh, and frankly, I'd like to see Jody Meeks get the lion's share of the minutes there to make up for some of that uh, weakness on the defensive side of the ball.
0: Okay, that's interesting. Sean, what do you think of yeah, going all in offensively, kind of basically trying to cover a weakness by just improving a strength.
2: I think it makes a lot of sense. I'm I'm still a little more lenient toward uh, KCP's offense, where I just think he needs to shoulder way less of the load and pick his spots as opposed to uh, be replaced. Because I think his, his three-point shooting is being built up enough where... I don't think it's a detriment to have him out there. I don't think it it's such a step back on offense compared to Meeks that I'd still like to see him out there. But uh, I definitely see the point. And one of the things that actually uh, to Ben's point about transition, one of the things I'm pretty excited about this team. And maybe maybe I'm misremembering, but when you think about players like uh, Caldwell Pope and especially Reggie Jackson combined with Andre Drummond. They have a good rebounding team for their positions, even though they've lost Gregor Monroe. I think they're really going to own the rebounding uh, battle. They're going to win every week. So I think that uh, they will have a lot of push opportunities, a lot of transition opportunities, and they have even more players that can kind of execute in transition than they had last year. So I'm I'm looking forward to a faster team. I definitely think this team's going
1: to take – huge step forward on offense. Yeah, and to be fair to KCP, he did shoot the ball really well in the preseason, so that's, that's a great sign.
0: Yeah, it looks like he is improving, but the thing with him last season was, of course, just the consistency. But my next question was going to be, what players or positions are you most confident in with this team? And Stan Van Gundy, throughout the preseason and even through training camp, KCP is one of the pieces that he's most confident in, and I'm not sure if he's doing that to build up the confidence of a young player who struggles at times and can be very frustrating. But I think KCP is someone that I I would be surprised if his minutes were cut for Meeks unless we start to really see him struggle because it does seem that the head coach, at least if you believe what he's been saying recently, really believes in
1: this guy. I think that's fair. I think that's completely fair. Um, But I would just quickly remind all of us that uh, Van Gundy was singing Josh Smith praises not not too (laughs) long ago. And also um talked about how badly he wanted to have Greg Monroe back on the team, so I mean I think to I think he probably does believe in k c p to a point, but I also think he's got to say he's got to say those types of things for two reasons: one because I think you're right, he needs to instill confidence publicly in his players. And two, because that's what he's got to say about all his players. I mean, he's not going to go out and speak negatively. So, yeah, I mean, I think he probably means it to a degree, but I'm not sure he would say anything differently, even if he didn't think that. That's very true. However,
2: I would say that earlier in the preseason, right shortly after they uh, drafted Stanley Johnson, or maybe right after the Orlando Summer League, he was talking about how he could envision Johnson playing a lot of shooting guard, even starting at shooting guard, and... Uh, during the uh, you know media day in Detroit, I asked uh, Kentavious Cobo Pope if he took that as a personal statement about his position, and you could very easily see that he he took that comment seriously. So I think you know as far as Stan Van Gundy playing mind games quote unquote or just sort of picking his comments carefully, I think he was very intentional about mentioning. Johnson playing shooting guard and I think he was doubly intentional about praising the hard work that Caldwell Pope put in because I think what he saw was his first comments had the effect he was looking for and Caldwell Pope was you know came into train camp with a seriousness that he wanted
0: right and and again I think it goes back to what Ben was saying that either he's behind the player or it's a little bit like the Josh Smith situation where Maybe you just don't want to send any messages that this player is someone who's expendable. So you're just keeping that trades, you know, the trade value of the player high across the league, if nothing else. Uh, but I guess then I'll just turn it over to the question I kind of started with there, which was just what players or positions do you guys have the most confidence in uh, with this team?
1: So I'll, I'll bite on this one first. Uh, Andre Drummond is the obvious answer here. Um, we talked last week about is he Dwight Howard in that sort of trajectory or is he more Tyson Chandler and I I think he's more Tyson Chandler personally but to me that's a really exciting thing to have a guy who can go out there and get you 12 to 15 points almost every night and 12 to 15 rebounds almost every night and in spite of the fact that he's not great on D he's going to get you a block or two and he's probably going to get you a steal or two as well Um, I've got a huge amount of confidence in him even if he's not the 20 point per game scorer that we maybe wish he was right now I think He's the cornerstone of the franchise, um, and I think that the trust that's been placed in him as the cornerstone of the, the franchise is well-placed, regardless of the fact that he's not a perfect player.
2: The only thing I'd say to to that is uh, Van Gundy has very intentionally built this team around Drummond as a defensive linchpin, and kind of everything orbits around that concept. And going back to just being worried about the defense, I'm just afraid that Drummond isn't up to that challenge necessarily yet in a way that could severely impact team defense overall, because uh, they're going to design the defense like they designed the Orlando defense around Dwight Howard, but Dwight Howard was already a great defender that could make up for the mistakes of a lot of those other non-defensive players, and... Drummond doesn't have that skill set in him yet. Maybe he never will. Hopefully he gets there. But I would just be worried that Drummond not being an all-world defender right now could really hamper team defense overall.
1: I agree with you. I think, personally, I think it's less of a short-term concern and more of a long-term concern. I think for right now, if, if I could read Van Gundy's mind, my guess would be that he's looking at this as this season as the first step in a three- to four-year plan to get this team from 40 wins to 55 wins. Mm-hmm. You look at the roster he's put together right now, and I think on paper it's roughly a 500 roster. And I think that he would be content uh, with that record 82 games from now, personally. That's just my guess. And I think in order to get there, you only need defense that's good enough, right? I mean, you just need to be able to outscore your opponents, by one point per game or a half a point per game to win 41 games now is that okay three years from now no absolutely not but right now I think it's okay and what I would point to is the the way that the Pistons closed the season you can look at it in sort of two ways one after they dumped Josh Smith and then secondly when Greg Monroe went down with that injury toward the end of the year they were actually a competent defensive team which was hugely surprising to me given their roster And I think from top to bottom, especially positions one through nine on this depth chart, they're probably better to a man except for maybe at the power forward spot on the defensive side of the ball. So I think I I do think that defense is going to be the weak point of this team, but I I don't think it's going to be terrible. I just think it's going to be sort of okay and and not that great. I don't know. What do you guys think about that?
0: Yeah, I kind of agree. And... And Sean is right to point out that a lot of this comes back to Drummond's development on the defensive end because if this defense looks at all like those Orlando defenses, there's just going to be so much attention paid to what type of job he can do. And I think it's unfair to say that you know the, the Pistons will go as far as Drummond's development there, but as far as the defense goes, I, I think I need to see more out of him to start to believe in in this team being looking like it did in that eleven game stretch when Monroe was out, and we got to see Drummond and Jackson work so well together. Uh, but Ben, you're right. The defense looked good during that stretch, and it's not because of the pieces, but maybe it was just the the entire team looked good on the defensive end. I, I'm still, I'm still unsure, and a lot of it comes back to Andre Drummond. I believe in the person, and, and you know the fact that he was willing to push his contract negotiations off until the summer and that he's interested in building a winning team and being a part of the Pistons is fantastic. I'm just still not sure about the player because I know if we're building around him, I need him to be a superstar. If if I want my team to be a contender, I I need him to be a superstar. And it's tough. It's tough to put that on someone.
2: And it's kind of the push-pull of this era of being a fan of the Pistons because they've been bad for so long, and I think, you know, we— We've certainly seen so many people try and make shortcuts that i I try and be patient, but the, Andre Drummond's entering his fourth year, so you'd think that he'd be farther along as a defensive player than he is, yes, on the second hand, he's twenty two years old, you know he's still got a lot of learning to do, and he didn't exactly get the world's best coaching, I would presume in his first two years in the league the The thing that makes me hopeful is that good head coaching can really install a quality defense. You'd think that Van Gundy, who had you know, top five, top ten defenses every year in the league in Miami and Orlando, would really be able to install the system that works and he's got the players he needs. Mm-hmm. He knows how to build the defense he wants. Uh, on the other hand, you'd like to see some of these players with more of perhaps a reputation for defense or just showing that they can pull it off. So maybe I'm I'm just forcing myself to be a little more skeptical than I wanna be so I don't get my heart broken. But
1: (laughs) Hey, that's totally fair. I I feel you on that. Right.
2: That's the Lions
0: fan in you talking. That's all that is. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's still too raw.
1: Yeah, and I think one other thing, and then you know, we can move on from from Drummond for now if we if you guys want to. And I'm gonna draw an analogy to Greg Monroe. I don't think Greg Monroe was a complete player until last year. It took him a number of years. And I think if you, if you were as big a fan of him as I was, you can sort of point to something each year where he really took a step forward. And I would say last year was the first year I could say about him, yes, he's, he's a competent to maybe above average team defender. And I don't think you could have said that about, them, about him any of the years prior. And I just have to think as a big man, when you're, you're so much at the center of what happens defensively, I think it's okay to be a little bit more patient because I think that takes several years to learn, unless you've got, you know, like the once in a generation player, like a Tim Duncan or a Dwight Howard or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, Dre is nowhere close to finished, a finished product on the defensive side of the ball. He's not a good team defender right now. But I guess for me, I I just feel like there's um, a justified patience because he is so young and so raw still. And it, it might take him until he's 25, but if he gets there by 25, I'm totally cool with that if it takes that long.
0: If he gets there, I agree with you. If that's still on the horizon for him, absolutely. I, we can wait it out, and we're not in a position where this franchise has to win now. I think we have faith that Van Gundy is going to be the, the guy to get us there, and I think Gores understands that. And for as bad as he wants to win and make the playoffs, if we know that drumming down the line is going to be worth it, and worth having a few years of growing pains, then of course I think at the end it, it would be uh it would be worth putting putting up with maybe a few years where we're five hundred or not as good as as we could be.
2: And I certainly think that's the Van Gundy perspective as well, only because I don't think in a million years that Stan Van Gundy would have let Andre Drummond shoot like two hundred and fifty shots in post up being that abominable at it unless he thought it served the long-term interest of the team. So I, I think you'll see a little more of that this year, just putting his young players in position to do the things they need to learn how to do down the road to be a real contending team. Maybe that costs the team a win or two overall this year, but you know it serves a long-term purpose. I, I've never doubted that Van Gundy is thinking long-term whenever he, he makes the kind of decisions he does for the team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He's playing the long game, for sure.
0: Yeah, and we actually saw Van Gundy do that with Reggie Jackson, because Reggie Jackson, after the trade was put into a situation where he didn't know the guys around him, and instead of really slow playing it and allowing him to just maybe come off the bench or be in a situation, and because of the injury, I I understand there wasn't uh, a great chance to really do that with Reggie Jackson, but we saw that Van Gundy wasn't worried about wins. He was looking at can this guy be the future point guard of this franchise, and that was the other player i 'm confident in for this season is Reggie Jackson. I, I think he is confident in his own abilities, and I thought it was so ironic this summer that John Wall had talked about you know look at the contract Reggie jackson's getting and I, because I think their numbers were so comparable wall and jackson uh, when Jackson was a piston they're very comparable if you just look at just look at the stat line for the two guys, they were very comparable, which shows. We might have a point guard who could play at an all-star level, and that to me is very exciting because we have, that has been a position of total weakness for this franchise for years now.
2: Yeah, and I think speaking of the long game, it was it was less about seeing what Reggie Jackson could do as a point guard in Detroit because honestly, I think Van Gundy knew he was going to give Reggie Jackson eighty million dollars before he even pulled the trigger on the trade. I think what he really wanted to see was if he's going to be my point guard for the next five years, I need to get him comfortable in the system. And I want to build chemistry with Andre Drummond as much as possible so that this, you know, when we start the season next year, they have a little bit to go off of and they're not just meeting each other for the first time.
0: Right. And now Reggie Jackson has actually had a training camp with players who. You know, he'll be playing with throughout the entire season. And that was you know just after, that, after the trade to get Reggie Jackson, the roster was just so different from what it was at that first training camp for Van Gundy. So I'm sure he feels much more confident in the group, group he's put together because chemistry ha- has to be so much higher now than it was at any point last season. And there were points where the team was so good that that, that makes me confident as well, that we actually have a team that's had a full training camp together, had a full off season, and we know what pieces are sticking around
2: right and uh speaking of reggie jackson he would be my choice i think for most confident in and i say that as somebody that was pretty deeply skeptical of his game when he was traded i think you really had to to dig deep to find sort of the glimmers of hope from a overall basketball player perspective from reggie jackson but Mm -hmm. those things that you eventually saw were a Obviously, the things Stan Van Gundy saw the whole time when he chose Reggie Jackson or picked him out as saying that's a guy that I could see as our long term point guard because you know there's there's so much so many holes in his game or maybe just hit in his role his output was so limited or mediocre, but once you got to Detroit, you saw that Van Gundy could see him as this ace pick and roll player that could dominate a game with his offense. And I went from very skeptical of Reggie Jackson to a huge Reggie Jackson supporter in the span of those 27 games, even knowing how up and down they were overall.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I went from the exact exact same thing you just said. And it was a trade that I I still liked right away. I I still thought, okay, yeah, let's see if, if Reggie Jackson is the guy. And Just from a fan's perspective, I wanted to see if that was a player I could get behind. But I think it's that, again, that 11-game stretch where the team played without Greg Monroe to end the season and we got to see Drummond and Jackson play big minutes together that I really started to believe that there's a chance that this team could be run through Reggie Jackson and that's okay and we could be a winning a winning franchise and allowing him to be the point guard of the future. So uh, you're right. I, I think he's my choice for most confident as well because I have questions in Drummond's game at both ends of the floor that still lead me to believe that he's a work in progress. The player for this season I'm most confident in is is Reggie Jackson.
2: Is it wrong that my second choice for the player I'm most confident in would be a rookie that's never played a game in the NBA, Stanley (laughs) Johnson? Because I just cannot stop enjoying what I see from him on the floor every second he's out there. It's crazy. I know I'm just delusional, but it's amazing to see him with sort of just a a mature game and a mature perspective on decision-making as a rookie when he's out on the floor. You know, he's had some clunkers where he's not scoring as well as you'd like, but just sort of the decisions on when to drive, the decisions on when and where to pass, how to penetrate, how to defend. I've been seeing so much good defense out of Stanley Johnson, speaking of earlier when I was afraid of all these defenders, but just his his uh, man defense and the way he negotiates uh, players trying to penetrate past him have been so beyond what I would expect of a rookie. It's been really fun to watch in the preseason and, and in the summer league.
1: Yeah, if the question were, who are you most excited about? Uh, for me, that's Stanley Johnson. I'm, I'm just absolutely pumped to see how this kid develops because I think you're dead on. Everything you said, I agree completely.
0: Stanley with someone after the draft pick. Of course, there was the initial moment where I was questioning how badly did I really want Justice Winslow. Right, I, I had to have that conversation with myself. But then there were things about Stanley Johnson's game that I didn't know how it would translate to the NBA level, and things like his three point shooting, or I didn't know what type of ball handler he was. Or he's answered almost all of those questions, and I haven't seen a regular season game yet. So I'm trying not to get too optimistic, but. Sean, you're right, there's just so many things to like about his game. It's really exciting that he's going to be a a part of this team's future and is still only 19 years old.
2: Yeah, I can't remember the context of where I I said it, but when you you look at Stanley Johnson, it's almost like he has uh, the uh, work ethic of Brandon Knight when he came in, the NBA day one skill of Greg Monroe when he was drafted, and sort of just the athleticism and defense of Contavius Caldwell-Pope when he was drafted. And it's taking three elements of these players and putting it all into one. He just, just seems like a player that could really uh, you know, light it up from day one as a rookie.
0: Yeah, and another thing that's kind of analogous to another player like that is also that I ha- he has that kind of chip on his shoulder that I felt Andre Drummond had when he got to the Pistons, that he had been you know very high early on in that in the draft process uh, Stanley Johnson and Andre Drummond both it, you know there was a chance they were going to be drafted very high and some teams went other directions and i think that gave both players a chip on their shoulder and you know now they have something to prove and it definitely seems Stanley has that
2: yeah and if you're thinking about you know they say that great players need to want to be great and there's no question in my mind that Stanley Johnson wants to be great or thinks he's going to be great and is willing to put the work in. So you never know how it's going to evolve through a player's career, what he's going to end up learning to do better, what kind of parts of his game aren't going to develop. But I uh, I don't have a question in my mind that he's going to you know, put the work in to maximize his skill. And that's exciting to see as a Pistons fan, just to see somebody that looks so good right now and looks like they want to be great going forward. Yes.
0: Well, I think we've been positive for long enough. So let's right, let's, let's move good. on. Uh, The weakest link, weakest position or player you're worried about going into this season?
2: I would say that the position that I'm most concerned about is probably power forward. Just because I I just don't know what to expect so much from power forward. Because Ursan Ilyasova has got some injury history. He's got some up and down play in his recent career. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a lights out defender, so... If his shot's not falling, what's he going to give the team? Uh, and his primary backup, which I would presume is going to be Marcus Morris. He's just a guy I like for that price at that many years. But is if he's pressed into starting duty, is he going to be able to do it? Is that going to make his game grow or shrink? There's just so many question marks for me at power forward that uh, if I was going to look at any position and be a little worried overall, I'd say that one.
1: Yeah, I think absolutely. Power forward is, I talked about this last week, power forward to me is a long-term problem. Like, I don't think anyone on the roster right now who's going to be playing power forward this season is the long-term answer. So I completely agree with you. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if Marcus Morris is the starting power forward by the end of the season. If Stanley Johnson emerges as a starting caliber small, small forward, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, but for me, actually, the guy I'm probably the most concerned about, not, and, and I don't want to say it is Reggie Jackson, because I think Reggie Jackson is a good player with holes in his game. Um, I would say there are two things I have related to Reggie Jackson that are concerning a little bit to me. First is consistency. Um, Reggie last year when he was on the Pistons was either absolutely fantastic or absolutely terrible and there didn't seem to be any sort of middle ground. Either he was shooting the ball really well and getting everyone else involved, or he was turning the ball over inexplicably and going five for 20 or something like that. So I would like to see Reggie figure out um, how to involve the team's offense and his teammates um, when his shot isn't falling, because that's going to happen to everybody in the NBA. Your shot's not going to go in. What can he do as the point guard, the guy who's going to have the ball in his hands 100% of the time um, to initiate the offense? What can he do when his shot's not falling? But then secondly, what in the heck is this team going to do when Reggie Jackson is on the bench? Yes, um, They yes. do not have the luxury of Greg Monroe. And, Sean, you've got a great uh, piece on, on this topic at the Free Press. Greg Monroe is a luxury that I don't think you appreciate until it's gone. You just throw the ball into him in the post and get a high percentage look. Right now, uh, unless Stanley Johnson is, is really fantastic with the ball early, there's no one else to initiate this offense. It is a pick-and-roll, spread-the-floor spread roster, and Reggie Jackson can't play 48 minutes a game. So maybe Steve Blake is a good enough stopgap until Brandon Jennings gets back, but even then there's no guarantee that Brandon Jennings is going to be the player he was a year ago. So I think with, when Reggie Jackson's on the bench or if he's in foul trouble or if he's just not playing well, where does the team go from there to to orchestrate an offense that works? And And right now, I do not have a good answer to that question.
0: I agree. And for me, that kind of leads into what's my weakest link for this team. And it's really just a worry I have about how this team can close out close games and just if this team is built to win close games. I still worry about our free throw shooting. I still worry about... Uh, Our defense, and if we find ourselves in positions where we have to take Drummond out of the game because of his free throw shooting and sometimes his liabilities defensively, depending on the team we're playing, and it also goes to that offense when Reggie Jackson is not on the floor, how are we going to find easy buckets? Can we do that without Reggie Jackson on the floor? The way we could, and Sean, yeah, that article was great about Monroe and how we could just dump it inside to him. And even though we are trying to do that with Drummond, it i just don't have the same confidence that we we will get as easy of baskets from it uh from you know Andre Drummond just post looks so i worry about us losing close games uh the free throw shooting just everything that kind of goes into that uh and it maybe it's just because i'm i'm a nervous pistons fan and i've lived through the last few seasons and just know how fourth quarters go <laughs>
1: fair enough <laughs> i think so Maybe Baines is the solution to that problem, and you're going to have a lot of offense for defense substituting at the five spot. It's not ideal, though. I mean, ideally you'd like to see Drummond hitting 70% of his shots uh, from the line, but Aaron Baines is a good good free-throw shooter, so maybe that's part of the solution there, at least if we're playing with a lead.
0: Yeah, I agree. He was one of those sneaky offseason moves for me for that very reason because he's an 86% free-throw shooter on his career, and I feel like that had to be a big part of the conversation uh, with Stan Van and, and Jeff Bowers of bringing in Baines was his free throw shooting and and probably finding ourselves in positions where we may have to slip him into the game like that.
2: Yeah, I'd say if you're wondering why the Pistons gave a little used San Antonio backup $7 million a year, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to see it in a bunch of games in the final three or four minutes when they take Drummond out and put... Baines in at center, you're not going to lose much on defense. You're going to probably gain on offense only because things get really tight at the end of games, so there's not going to be as much uh, pick-and-roll opportunity for Drummond to drive the lane. I think, speaking of the long game Van Gundy's going to be playing, I think it might become a story this season that Drummond isn't finishing a lot of games, and uh, if Van Gundy decides to speak up in the media – He's going to talk about the need for Drummond to earn the end of the game playing time and be trusted to make his foul shots, make the right defensive rotations, and uh, I think we might be surprised how many games Baines is actually finishing on the floor. I'm not sure how surprised
0: I would be just because of that, that free throw worry that I have with Andre Drummond, and you're right that Drummond is going to have to earn those late game situations if he wants to stay on the floor because... Last year it was something that probably cost us games when we didn't have a great alternative. Uh, As much as I like Joel Anthony, he was not a guy that we could go to in a spot uh, like we probably can this year with Baines. Uh, So for some of the weak links and unknowns that we've talked about, do you guys see a trade that could be made with this team? Do you see any moves that could strengthen this team? Or maybe like what position do you see us trying to improve?
1: Brandon Jennings is the obvious Answer to that, right? I mean, one year on his contract, if he comes back healthy, that's a fantastic piece to add to your rotation if you're trying to make a push in the playoffs and your backup point guard position is weak. Um, but beyond that, I don't have any specific trade targets in mind. But what I would praise about Van Gundy and Bauer up to this point is um, they haven't saddled themselves with any poor contracts. Every single contract on the roster, I mean, literally every single contract on the roster can be considered a trade asset. Um, yeah. Ilya Silva, Marcus Morris, Aaron Baines. I mean, Jody Meeks, even though I thought under the previous CBA maybe that was a little bit of an overpay, but I think what we've seen happen the last year proves that it wasn't. They've just done a fantastic job of putting together a roster of you know competent to quality players who are paid at the exact sweet spot of where they ought to be paid. And that makes for a lot of flexibility. And a lot of ability to wheel and deal, you know, if, if uh, people are looking to unload salary or or whatever. So I think kudos to them; they've done a fantastic job of building the roster around that.
2: Yeah, the funny thing is, I can't necessarily look at this team and predict that they will make a trade only because I think the pieces make sense one to fifteen. But I also think that. If Van Gundy has shown one thing, it's that he's extremely aggressive in remaking this roster. So as far as people that I could not be shocked if they were traded beyond Brandon Jennings, which obviously does make the most sense, I could see players like Contavius Caldwell-Pope and Jody Meeks being available. I could see players like Ursan Eliasova being available because they're on these short-term deals and, you know, every team in the league has 20 plus million dollars in cap room to spend this off season. They're not going to be clamoring to come to Detroit necessarily for any particular reason. Mm -hmm. So if this team is going to maximize its cap room or, or anything like that, I wouldn't be surprised if it was made via the trade market. So I don't necessarily think that the team has to upgrade any particular position or that anybody's on their way out of town, but there's a lot of players that could be dealt for, uh, let's say, a Reggie Jackson-type piece where Van Gundy sees a player and thinks that he's a long-term asset that would propel the team forward and he's going to go get it no matter the cost.
0: I agree. It's definitely not like last year that there's one player, Josh Smith, who when the you know season started was the one that there were so many questions and if it didn't work, he would be the guy to go. Uh, there's no one like that this season, which is nice. It's nice that we don't have that. But I think there are still positions like we talked about that I'm a little nervous about. What made me a lot more confident about this roster was and I'm sure you guys listened to it, Zach Lowe's interview with Stan Van Gundy over the summer. Mm-hmm. And just all the answers Stan Van had for the decision to, you know, take on Ursan Ilyasova and what benefit he has to the basketball team, you know, why he can be a successful stretch for in the NBA, and talking about his rebounding, things like that. The fact that he has answers for all of these things makes me think that if Van Gundy notices something isn't working, he's already shown that he will be aggressive to fix it. And today I look at the roster, and Sean, you're right, 1 through 15, it makes sense. I can see this team being decently successful. But if, it, if there's something that isn't working, or a player that seems out of place or is struggling, I can see Van Gundy going out and finding a way to improve it, and that that makes me that makes me feel good as a fan that we have someone who has an understanding of the game and can go out and get a deal done because we've seen it done a few times now.
1: I was going to say, and he Van Gundy's already done that, right? I mean, he's already like you look at bringing in Anthony Tolliver. I mean, when, when he was acquired last season, I thought, oh, you know, this this is a totally insignificant trade; it doesn't mean anything. And it turned out that Tolliver is absolutely the perfect fit for what Van Gundy's trying to do and was a spark for us coming off the bench, especially when we were, uh, you know, winning in the latter half of the season. So he's proven not only that he can build a roster that allows him to cash in opportunities, but secondly that he's willing and able to do it when the opportunity presents itself. And as a fan, that is just such a refreshing change from where we've been, you know, for the last 10 years. So, yeah, absolutely well positioned for, for any sort of trade activity that would be necessary.
0: All right, so now that we're at this point in the conversation, I think we should kind of try to look at this holistically and get some big-picture answers for people who are listening. So let's go around and just talk about our best-case scenario. What does the best-case season look like for the Pistons in
1: 2015-16? I, I think probably 45 wins or so. I I know there are some among us who really think that there's potential for 50 wins here. And I'm pretty skeptical of that, at least with the roster as is, you know, barring a significant trade that none of us really see coming. I think it's probably a 45-win team or so, and maybe that's good enough for fifth in the East. I think fourth in the East is probably still a little bit out of reach. Um, But 45 wins, and and not only 45 wins, but a team that can really scare anybody in the first round. I think over the course of a seven-game series, this team could be really scary if everything starts clicking in the latter half of the season.
2: Yeah, I'd say uh, beyond just win total, because, I mean, who knows? I think 45 wins makes a lot of sense as far as that top level when things are going right. But just from a player standpoint, what what this team really wants to see out of everyone is that Reggie Jackson is that sort of John Wall-esque player where he has the skill set even within his limitations to impact a game positively like John Wall can with his speed and passing ability Mm -hmm. and pick and roll ability. I think you have to remember that Reggie Jackson is viewed as still largely just a backup point guard who got overpaid. So if people start thinking of Reggie Jackson as, oh, he's a, you know, he's a lead guard in the East that's, you know, one of the best point guards, that, that means that he's taken the right steps forward with his game. And uh, f- for Drummond, it would just be a player that is anchoring a defense that took probably 12 to 15 spots up on you know defensive efficiency overall in the NBA. That's the kind of jump, best-case scenario that this team could make, uh, especially if they're knocking on the 45 wins in that
0: area. Best case for me probably looks similar to what Ben what you were talking about, 45 wins, maybe competing somewhere in the middle of the Eastern Conference playoff picture, getting into maybe that 4 or 5 game, and I think best case scenario would be seeing ourselves in the second round of the playoffs, which I think is definitely hopeful. It's it's optimistic for this team, but I don't think it's so far out of the realm of possibility. Because all of the other teams that we'll probably be competing with in the East have questions similar similar to this team. So, whether we, you know, if we can draw Miami, Toronto, Washington, Atlanta, Chicago, someone like that in the first round, I don't think it's a guarantee that we would lose to a team like that in the first round. So, I think best case would be 45 wins, middle of the Eastern Conference playoff picture, and fighting to get into that second round. So now we have to look at the other side of things. What would be the worst case scenario? What's a disaster season like for the Pistons?
2: From my perspective, it's some somewhere earlier in the season, Reggie Jackson gets injured, knock on wood. Because I think, you know, the chips are in on everything's based on Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond. If Jackson gets hurt, then this team loses its entire offensive identity and how it's going to operate. Now, obviously, you know, Stan Van Gundy has every point guard run his pick-and-roll system. And if you look at the top pick-and-roll players last year, I think four of the five are Pistons. But uh, Reggie Jackson's obviously the most talented of that group, especially running that type of play. So worst-case scenario for me is an injury to one of the key cogs, and the key cogs— are really one of two, Drummond or Jackson. And I think Jackson would be the most destructive from a team standpoint. And that would mean this team is, again, going to win maybe 25 to 28 games and be way out of the playoffs. Yeah,
1: that sounds bad. Yeah, that sounds absolutely terrible. Um, (laughs) That's why it's not going to (laughs) happen. Yeah, exactly.
0: Worst case, worst case.
1: exactly. For me, it would be, any number of scenarios that involves the Pistons missing the playoffs. I do have confidence that on paper, this is a playoff team. Um, I know there are still a lot of fans who are skeptical and I totally get it. I have been hugely skeptical, like I said, since 2008, but I I have a lot of confidence in the team, in the management and in the coaching and in the system. Um, And I think everything fits within the context of that system. So it could be a Reggie Jackson injury. It could be an Andre Drummond injury. It could be a bad stretch of 15 games. I and mean, there's any number of scenarios that could you know, could feasibly crop up. And if any of them do, and if the Pistons miss the playoffs as a result, that to me would be a huge disappointment. I think from top to bottom within the organization, they have to believe they're a playoff-caliber team at this point. And anything short of that would just be a huge disappointment and underachievement.
0: Completely agree. I think, worst case scenario, definitely the Pistons are outside of the playoff picture. But I think, worst case for me, would be just feeling some deja vu about the first half of the season uh, and starting poorly. Because, Ben, I know we kind of talked about this a little bit before we started the pod today. The schedule does not set up nicely for the Pistons. Mm
1: -hmm. And if
0: we get off to another slow start that puts us so far into a rut that we have to play basketball just to get back to neutral. I think that, to me, is the worst-case scenario is we just can't seem to get it right early in the season, so we're just having to fight our way to being competitive and competent the rest of the year. So I really would like to see us start out strong to begin the season so we don't have to worry about you know, being five games back in March and trying to make a push or something. Uh, okay. I, w- I would hate to see that, So especially with some of the teams that we, I expect that we'll be fighting with to make the playoffs in the East. To see some of those teams be ahead of us because we started slow again would be very frustrating. And for me, that's the worst case is what Phoenix was last year. Detroit is this season. Mm, Just, you yeah. know, that that would be worst case for me.
1: Yeah, that's a good comparison. This
0: is where the conversation got away from us a bit. Ben, Sean, and myself started to talk about the playoff picture in the East. Ben and I think the Pistons will make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference But Sean needs a little more convincing. So next week's episode, we're going to pick up right where we left off, talking about the Pistons, the playoffs in the Eastern Conference, and we'll actually have a few regular season games that hopefully will start to make that picture a little clearer for all of us. And I hope you all enjoyed listening to our season preview of the Detroit Pistons. On behalf of myself and Ben, we just wanted to thank everyone for all the support on the first episode and for restarting this podcast. We got some great feedback from the first episode, and we really appreciate that. And if you're looking for where to find it, you can, of course, find it on iTunes. Subscribe there. New episodes will be out every Monday. And on DetroitBadBoys.com every Monday, you will find an article with the podcast posted as well from Blog Talk Radio. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be picking up right where we left off next week. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com.